Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from the pulpit of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. Amen. Why don't you clap your hands to the Lord today. Hallelujah. Thank you for your goodness, for your blessings upon our lives. Lord, you are worthy of all the praise, glory, and honor. And the 103rd Psalm says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgiveth all thine iniquities and who healeth all thy diseases. Thankful to know there's no sickness that he cannot heal, no disease that he cannot cure, no problem that he cannot fix, no circumstance that he cannot change. No addiction that he cannot break. No sin he cannot forgive. No soul he cannot save. What a great, big, wonderful God that we serve. And what a powerful presence of the Lord that is moving in the sanctuary this morning. Grateful for the Holy Ghost that is already here. And so we count it a privilege to come and be in service with each and every one of you. Give honor to your pastor and his family. How many appreciate your pastor? Is there anybody grateful for the man of God in your life? And we so appreciate their kindness and hospitality. Jesus said it like this in John 13, 35. He said, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples, by the love that you have one to another. And I feel that love of God from them and from this church family. And so we are just delighted to be here. So happy that my wife is with me and little baby Shiloh. I think the spirit of peace is starting to come on him, I feel. You pray that that lingers on him. And so sometimes I don't know what to do if we need to pray through to the Holy Ghost or cast out the devil. But we just go back and forth. But truly I love my family, love our son. Grateful for everything God has done for us. Well, while you remain standing, if you have your Bibles, we're going to open and we're going to read from the book of St. Luke chapter 4, and we're going to begin at verse number 16, and we're going to read down to verse number 21. St. Luke chapter 4, verse 16, and we're going to read down to verse 21. While you're turning there, it was back in February of 1955 in West Ridgeland, Washington, a man by the name of Clinton Lacey stood up to preach. And after he finished his sermon, history was made. Because at the conclusion of his message, he had preached for 48 hours and 18 minutes. The longest sermon ever recorded. Somebody's getting nervous. I could feel it already. I could sense it. He must have had something to say. But I'm more under the impression of what the Apostle Paul said in the book of Romans. The Lord wants to do a quick work. <laughs> so I'm not going to hold you for 48 hours today, and I'm going to try not to hold you for 48 minutes. But I do believe the Lord is going to speak to us. Can you say amen? 
Amen. Luke 4, verse 16, and the Bible tells us this, speaking of Jesus, and he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up for to read. And there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, and to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. Verse 20 says, And he closed the book, and he gave it again to the minister, and sat down. And the eyes of all them that were in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began to say unto them, This day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. Here Jesus preaches a short message, closes the book, gives it to the minister. The Bible says all the eyes of the people were on him. And he stood up and he said these words. He said, This day is not like every other day, but this day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. And so with the help of the Holy Ghost, I want to preach to us on this thought. Today is your day. Today is your day. Could you lift your hands? Would you lift the volume of your voice? Let's pray. Let's ask the Lord to speak to us. Father, in the name of Jesus, God, we are thankful for every life that is here, for every individual that is in this place. But Lord, we are praying that your word would do what it was designed to do. Let your word penetrate our heart. Let your word illuminate our understanding. Let your word minister to our souls. And we praise and thank you in advance for what you are going to do in this place. In the name that's above every other name. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name. Amen and amen. You may be seated. Thank you for standing with me. Well, we're reading in this fourth chapter, the Gospel of St. Luke, and we find that Jesus has made his way to the synagogue. In the 16th verse, it tells us that as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day. In my walk with the Lord, I found out there are many places that you can experience God. You can experience Him when you're at home by yourself, when you're driving in the car, when you're working a job, when you're at school. But there is one place that you can rest assured and know that He is going to be, and that is in the house of the Lord. He is faithful to His house. And so we... Stands and he begins to preach before the people. Luke 4 and 18, he said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised and to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. But as Jesus preached, we find that those in attendance were not moved by his ministry. Those that were in the synagogue were not necessarily phased by the message that he had delivered. And so to understand why this had taken place like it did, 
we have to back up just a little bit and find out the uh, history of Nazareth. Nazareth was a place that was known for individuals to come and to proclaim that they were the Messiah. Those that had come before and began to say that they were the Redeemer. They were the Savior of mankind. And so being burnt over and over again, they began to become hardened to anybody that would come and bring a life-changing message. In Acts chapter 5, it even gives us a little more insight of what had taken place in the past. In Acts 5, Christianity was growing. The disciples were gaining converts left and right. And so a religious council came together to decide what they were going to do to try to slow down, to stifle, to keep this group from gaining more momentum. So when they came together, they began to discuss all the different options. And at first, they were so touched by what the disciples were doing. They got so angry and beside themselves that somebody stood up and said, we just need to take counsel to kill them. That will stop their message from going forward. That will keep their group from growing any larger. We just need to do that. After a little while, it was decided, no, that's probably not the best option. We probably don't need to go down that road. So over and over, they find themselves asking, what do we need to do? Until finally, there was a man that stood up by the name of Gamaliel, an elder statesman of the law. And as he stood up, he said, now, brethren, let's not get too worked up about this man named Jesus. He said, I'm old enough to remember that long before Jesus ever came, there was a man by the name of Thutis, and he boasted himself to be somebody. He began to say that he was the hope for humanity. He was the one that was going to bring change for the world. And do you know that he got about 400 men to follow after him? But we left him alone. And do you know what the end result was? His entire movement came to nothing. He said, and after Thutis, there was another man by the name of Judas of Galilee. He began to say that he was the prophesied one of old. He was going to be the one that would really save the people from their sins. He got everybody worked up, got everybody stirred. But do you know what happened to him? We left him alone and he came to nothing. And now here we are at a crossroads. What are we going to do about this man named Jesus and these people that are following after him? He said, I present to you today that we don't kill him, that we don't lock him in jails or cast him into prison, but we just leave them alone because I tell you what's going to happen. Give it long enough and Jesus is going to be forgotten. Give it long enough, he's going to fade away away like Thutis and fizzle out like Judas. It will come to naught. But then he clarified his statement. He said, now, unless he's really of God, he said, because I'm going to tell you, if this has been ordained from the heavens and if this has been anointed from on high, 
I got a news flash for you. You can throw them in jail. Uh, you can mock. You can laugh. Uh, you can criticize. You can ridicule. Uh, you can make them seem like they are uneducated, uh, that they are foolish, uh, that they are unintelligent. Uh, but if God is in this, uh, you cannot overthrow it. Uh, you cannot stop it. Uh, you cannot hinder it. And brothers and sisters, ladies and gentlemen, uh, here we are nearly 2,000 years later uh, and nobody knows who Thutis is. Uh, nobody knows who Judas of Galilee is. Uh, but all across the land, uh, there are pulpits being filled uh, and there are churches with members uh, that are preaching about a Jesus uh, that is still alive, uh, a Jesus that is still real, uh, a Jesus that can change your life. Oh, my, when Jesus stood up to preach in this fourth chapter of the Gospel of St. Luke, they thought it was just another man. They thought it was just another politician. They thought it was just another superstar. They thought it was just another individual. But I'm going to tell you, he's more than just a man. He's more than just a ruler. He's more than just a celebrity. He's more than just a superstar. But he's in a class all by himself. Oh, oh, we cannot properly describe just exactly who he is. He lived in humility. He walked with probity. He stood with integrity. He spoke with clarity. Uh, he prayed with authority. Uh, he even died in dignity. Uh, he rose in victory. Uh, he reigns for eternity. Uh, he's returning in ecstasy. Uh, oh, the songwriter said, when I think uh, of the goodness of Jesus... Uh, and all that he's done for me. Uh, my soul cries out, hallelujah. Praise God for saving me. He's wonderful. He's amazing. He's magnificent. He's marvelous. He's glorious. Doesn't take long. You don't know what else to say. I don't know what are the adjectives I can describe just how good he really is. Even the word of the Lord couldn't really title exactly who he was. Colossians 1 and 18, the apostle said he's the head of the body. Ephesians 5, 23 said he's the head of the church. John 1, 29 said he's the lamb of God. Revelation 5, 5 said he's the lion of the tribe of Judah. John 8, 12 says he's the light of the world. John 8, 58 said he's the I am that I am. Deuteronomy 4 and 24 said he's a consuming fire. Isaiah 28 and 5 said he's the diadem of beauty. Hebrews 2 and 10 said he's the captain of our salvation. Proverbs 18 and 10 said he's a strong tower that the righteous run into and they are safe. We could spend all day long Song of Solomon 2.1 said he's the rose of Sharon. He's the lily of the valley. Revelation 22 and 16 said he's the bright and the morning star. He's the root. He's the offspring of David. Isaiah 9 and 6 said he's the prince of peace. Acts 3.15 said he's the prince of life. Psalm 24.10 said he's the king of glory. Matthew 27.11 says the king of the Jews. 1 Timothy 1.17 says the king eternal. Want me to keep going? 1 Corinthians 2 Wait, he's the Lord of glory. Acts 10 36, he's the Lord of all. Haggai 1 5, he's the Lord of hosts. Matthew 9 38, he's the Lord of the harvest. 
1 Timothy 6.15. He's the King of Kings. He's the Lord of Lords. I'll tell you who he is. He's a heart mender. He's a mind regulator. He's a soul satisfier. He's a problem fixer. He's the Alpha. He's the Omega. He's the beginning. He's the ending. He's the first. He's the last. He's which is, which was. Somebody say his name, Jesus. He's all these titles wrapped up into one name. And when he comes to where we are, it's going to be your day. They didn't know it. They didn't realize what was happening. But Jesus was about to speak the word. Never underestimate the value of one word from God. Never discount the power of a solitary word from God. It can do what nothing else can do. A word from God is more intoxicating than being drunk. A word from God is higher than the nirvana you can get from a drug. A word from God is more illuminating than a PhD. A word from God. God is richer than a job promotion. A word from God. It can change your life. It can alter your destiny. It can brighten your future. Just one word from the Lord. Just one word. This was just the beginning because you're aware that Jesus went, lives were touched, sicknesses were healed. Those that needed a miracle in their life experienced it at the hand of the Christ. And so in John chapter 5, we read that there was a certain pool called the pool of Bethesda. At a certain season, the Bible tells us an angel would come down and stir the water. And when that angel would come and stir the water, the first person that would jump in, they would instantaneously and immediately be healed. And so people would come from all over. They would travel from other towns and cities, hoping, praying, expecting, anticipating that maybe, just maybe, they could jump in the water before anybody else and they could receive a healing in their life. And so the scripture says that there was a man that was at the pool of Bethesda who had an infirmity in his body for 38 years. Somebody said 38 years. Smack your neighbor upside the head and say 38 years. Woo, somebody felt inspiration. Imagine that. Day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, decade after decade, staying in the same problem, staying in the same pain, staying in the same circumstance. 38 years he watched as others got healed, watched as others were blessed, watched as others were promoted, but for him, he stayed exactly in the same place where he had always been. You ever feel like that sometimes in life? Other people get what they want. Other people get what they ask. Other people have all these benefits and blessings. But I'm running on that proverbial wheel. I'm trying, but nothing seems to change. I'm trying to get out of debt, but nothing. Oh, help me somebody. I'm trying to pay the bills off, but nothing seems to change. Everybody else is out of debt, and I'm still paying that same credit card. This man just kept staying in the same exact place. It wasn't that he had not come to the pool of Bethesda. He just kept missing his chance. And so here he was, 
just like so many other times before, sitting beside the pool. But on this particular day, there was another man that came. And Jesus came walking towards this individual. And when finally Jesus came close to where he was, he asked him a question. He said, will thou be made whole? Oh, in other words, he just said, do you want to be healed? Sometimes I like to put myself in the Bible right when it's going on. Sometimes uh, we already know the end of the story. We already know what happens. But consider with me placing yourself in the shoes of this man. And you don't know who Jesus is. You don't know his background or history. He just comes walking up towards you and asks the question, Why are you at the pool of Bethesda? Are you sick? I wonder if the man thought, now listen up, Einstein. Why else do you think I've been coming here for 38 years? But see, sometimes Jesus isn't impressed with how long we've been coming. He wants to know why have you come. You're not so much interested in how many times you have come, but what is the reason that you are here today? So this man began to explain, well, other people, they have someone helping them, someone assisting them. So when that angel comes and stirs the water, they have somebody working on their behalf, and I'm always late to the party. So Jesus and this man, they're having this conversation, and Jesus now is instructing him, why don't you just stand up? And I I can envision this man almost baffled, uh, kind of stunned at the response of Jesus. And he kind of tells him again, now Jesus, I don't know if you're used to how it works at the pool of Bethesda, but I'm going to tell you again, at a certain season, an angel's got to come and stir the water. And then and only then can somebody jump in the water and that is when they get healed. So here's this man telling Jesus, I can't be healed because the angel hasn't come yet. I can't get a miracle because it's not the right time yet. He wasn't, he didn't know he was talking to the one that gave the angel his orders. He didn't know he was talking to the one that dispatched that angel from the corridors of heaven. He didn't know he was speaking to the one that loosed that angel down from the portals of glory. Sometimes we can find ourselves saying those very same things, thinking those very same thoughts. God, if I can make it to some kind of special service, if I can make it to some kind of convention or convocation, maybe I can experience something supernatural. Maybe when everything's just right, when the stars have aligned, I'll get what I really need. But Jesus was trying to get this man to understand you don't have to wait for a visitation from an angel. You don't have to wait for somebody to come and prophesy and call you out. But you can have what you need right this very moment. And when that man stood up, the Bible says he was healed by the power of the Lord. He had been touched by the hand of God after 38 years. It was finally his day. Finally, his day. I can remember when God got a hold of my life. I won't share the whole story. It's another story for another day. I was an addict and was a dealer. Lived in the inner city all my life. It was all I ever knew. So when I got the Holy Ghost, I'm going to tell you, I just bought in 100%. 
As I remember talking to my pastor, I said, now, pastor, we got to win people. I got to tell people about Jesus. And I just thought everybody wanted to be saved. And so I was picking people up in my car, but finally I said, look, we're going to have to make other arrangements. And so we went out. We bought this old 1992 GMC van. Had no gas gauge. Had no odometer. Had no speedometer. Come on, Florida. You know it had no air conditioner. Come on. You could have filled in the blank on that one. Had a big old hole in the back that people would fall through. If they weren't paying attention, they'd slip and fall. The legs would go through. That didn't matter to me. I was going. I was picking everybody. Didn't matter how old, what their skin color, what their background was. I was bringing them to church. Van loads. Two, three, four van loads of people. I'd take them. I'd drop them off. Go pick another van load. Drop them off. I had a lot of zeal, uh, but I didn't know I was picking up two different gangs. And they were coming to church, and they were having knife fights in the foyer, and people pulling guns in the sanctuary. And about the time I had the third load, the pastor standing at the door saying, I, I, I need to speak to you for a minute before you leave again. So a lot of zeal, maybe not a whole lot of knowledge. I just wanted to see people say I remember talking to my family about the Lord, my dad. I said, now, Dad, I got the Holy Ghost, and you need to experience this. My dad, alcoholic all my life, rock and roller, and he'd always tell me, he said, I'm glad you found Jesus, but I'm fine where I'm at. So I tried my best to get him to come to church, and he never would. I even tried to give a Bible study. He said, not, not interested, just leave me alone. Sometimes when that happens, you have no other choice. You just got to pray. Got to fast. Keep on doing what's right. Don't throw in the towel. You don't give up, but just put your shoulder to the plow and say, I know God's got to get him. I know God's going to touch him. So I would pray and pray and pray, and nothing seemed to ever change. And I remember it was a few years back on a Friday night, preached a revival on the west side of Indianapolis. And the very first night, we just had an awesome outpouring. Seven or eight people got the Holy Ghost. Man, it was going great. So Saturday night came. We worshiped God, and the Spirit of the Lord was moving like it's been moving here this morning. As the atmosphere was set for the Word. So finally got up to preach. And I looked, there was a man that came in the back door, sat on the very back row. So... I'll make a confession. I don't know if it's a confession service, but I can't see very far away. So if you're in the back, you're probably going to be all right. <laughs> but every once in a while, the traveling evangelist comes out. I've tried to stay pretty dignified today, Pastor Boyd, but every once in a while, I step away from the pulpit, start walking up and down the aisles preaching. So I started walking up and down the aisles, and I was about halfway, quarter of the way back, and I looked, and on the very last row, I looked at that man, and guess who was sitting there? My father, my dad, the one that would never, I'm, I'm telling you, he wouldn't come on Easter, he wouldn't come on Christmas, he wouldn't come on your birthday, you might as well forget it. He's not going to come on your Sunday school contest, he's just not going to be there. As I made my way back up to the pulpit, and I'm trying to take all the sin. He's finally come to church. And so I close and give the altar call and the benediction. Anybody like to come and be saved? Why don't you come on down to the front? And i never forget a young man came up to be saved on the right-hand side of the church. And so I went and I was praying for him. And as I was praying for him, somebody came, 
one of the ministers tapped me on the shoulder said, Brother, uh, somebody told me that your dad is here, and he's actually come to the altar to pray. So well, I'm telling you, I got excited. Of course, everybody flooded the altar. And so I was looking. I made my way all the way to the other side of the church, and I couldn't find him. So I just kind of standing there praying. And I, another minister comes off the platform walking towards me. He said, Brother, I need to tell you that your father's in the back. He's talking to the pastor, saying he's got to get saved today. He can't wait any longer. He's got to get baptized right now. So I start walking up on the platform, and I see my dad come out of that little back room. He jumped into baptismal. I thought he was going to baptize himself. Man, I'm standing there, and the pastor's standing next to me. He looked at me and said, well, I know this isn't where you go to church, but it is your father. Would you like to do the honors of baptizing him? So I got to hold him in the water and said, upon the confession of your faith and the death, burial, and the resurrection of Jesus our Savior, I do. been a long time coming, but I do now indeed baptize you in the name of Jesus for the remission of your sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Put him down in the name of Jesus, and when he came out of the water, he was speaking in other tongues. God had filled him with the Holy Ghost. God had transformed his life. Oh, I'm going to tell you, I was so pumped up. The first chance I got, got on my phone, called my mom. I said, Mom, you're not going to believe who showed up to church tonight. You're definitely not going to believe who got baptized and who got saved. Dad came and gave his life to God. And I'll never forget her response. She said, we've been married 38 years. And he never once talked about giving his life to God. Never once talked about being baptized. Never once talked about serving the Lord. Never once talked about going to church. But I'm going to tell you, you can run for 38 years. But when it's your day, when God's got your number, when God zeroes in on you, Happy to tell you my parents both are serving the Lord. They're both in church. My, his pastor just made him the men's ministry director of their church. He's on the platform playing and singing. God's still working. God's still working. But the story, the story gets a little better, and I'm not going to be too much longer. But it was just a few days after that that I got a phone call from my aunt lived in St. Louis, about four hours or so from Indianapolis. and I tried to talk to her about the Lord before, and she'd always tell me. She said, now, Doug, I believe in God, just not like you. She said, because you're crazy. She said, people are crying and praying and speak a word. Uh-uh, and I'm not interested in that. And I always tried to tell her, why don't you just come to church with me one time? Why don't you just come and feel what happens? And no, not interested. And so she called me, kind of strange, out of the ordinary. And so uh, we were talking on the phone and uh, making chit-chat, small talk. Finally, I said, what's going on, Aunt Sandy? What's happening? And she said, well, I heard you were preaching a revival on the west side of Indianapolis. And I thought, if it'd be okay, I might drive over from St. Louis and be in one of those services. I said, now hang on, you're going to drive four hours to come and be in a service. I said, well, you know you're always welcome to come, but I need to ask you a question. How did you even know I was in town preaching a revival? 
She said, well, your dad called me just a little bit ago and said, I know you don't believe it, but you owe it to yourself to go to that apostolic church. There's something that moves in that place. There's something that you can feel that you've never felt in your life. You ought to go just one time. So my aunt came to church, and she sat on the third row. I'm going to let somebody know, if you sit on the first three rows, you're telling me one thing, I want to be saved. I want to be saved. If you're on the first three rows today, it's already over. Your story's already ended. You're going to be saved today. If you're within spitting distance of the preacher, it's game over. So. We started worshiping. That's it. Couldn't go no further. I look over tears streaming down her face. I made my way off the platform, kind of pulled her to the side. I said, Aunt Sandy, what you're feeling? It's the love of God. What you're feeling? It's the Holy Ghost. It's more than the fast beating of your heart. It's more than butterflies in your stomach. It's more than, for some reason, you can't explain why you're crying all of a sudden. What you're feeling is the drawing of the Spirit. Why don't you just lift your hands and pray with me for a minute she said no way so what do you mean no way she said the moment I raise my hands something's going to jump on me uh, and I'm not going to be able to stop it she said Doug the hair's standing up on the back of my neck she said look at my arm I got goosebumps running up and down my arm right now I know if I lift my hands I'm not going to be able to control what happens next I said, well, I'll tell you what, why don't we just pray together for a moment? And we started praying, and that same spirit that she had felt a moment ago came sweeping in again. Tears started streaming all over. And I said, that's it. What you're feeling is the love of God, the love that's pure. Why don't you lift your hands? It's a sign of surrenderance. There's nothing magical about it. It just means, God, I'm surrendered, and I'll give whatever you ask of me to do. She lifted her hands up. We started praying. And just as sure as we were praying on that third row, boom, the Holy Ghost came. She starts speaking in other tongues. God filled her with the Holy Ghost. In that very moment, finally we got done praying. She's wiping away the tears. She's hugging everybody, hugging the sisters behind her she's never met. I'm going to tell you, when you really get the Holy Ghost, you'll speak in tongues. That's a sign. But there'll be a different attitude. There'll be a different heart. There'll be a different mind that you didn't have before. After she wiped away all her tears, she came back. She gave me a hug. She said, Doug, I know what I need to do. I said, well, what do you need to do? She said, you told me a hundred times. Probably thought I wasn't listening. She she said, you told me I got to be baptized in Jesus' name. She said, I can't deny it now. I guess I got to be baptized. So guess what I got to hold in the water? And say, upon the confession of your faith and the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus our Savior, the one that said I was too radical, the one that said there's too much excitement, the one that said there's too many emotions going on, put her down in the name of Jesus. She went back home. She went back home to St. Louis, got a hold of her husband. She said, you better go to church with me. Found an apostolic church. He got the Holy Ghost. He got baptized. She's the door greeter. He's a Sunday school bus driver, and they're serving the Lord. But the story gets even better still. And I'm closing. The musician's getting ready to come. But my sister called me. Not too many days after that. I tell you, my sister, uh, she is an atheist. 
I always called her a militant atheist. Uh, she could chew you up and spit you out before you knew how to talk back. Very smart, intelligent. So she'd always tell me, well, going to church and religion is for people that need a crutch, uh, people that need assistance and help that don't have enough strength in their own selves. So I'd try and try to get her to come to church or do a Bible study, never much interested. And so she called me. And so we're talking on the phone for a few minutes, going back and forth. And finally, I said, well, Natalie, I, I got to ask you, why'd you call me? What's going on? What's happening? She said, well, I heard you were preaching a revival in town on the west side. And I thought that if it'd be okay, I, uh, would it be okay if I came to church? I said, I don't know. Let me pray about it. I have to get back with you on that. I said, come on, Natalie. You know you don't have to ask permission. You're always welcome, always welcome in church. I said, but I need to ask you a question. How would you even know I was in town? She said, you'll never believe who I just got off the phone with. I, said, I might be able to give it a guess. She said, Dad called me on the phone. I said, I know you don't believe in God, and I know you're not a religious person, but you owe it to yourself to go to that apostolic church. You owe it to yourself to feel what moves in that building. is something I just cannot explain. So my sister came to church. She had more sense than my aunt. She sat on the very last row. I want to tell somebody today, when God starts dealing with you, doesn't matter if you're on the third row, if you're on the last row. I feel that same ministering spirit right now. Uh, when God starts ministering, when God starts dealing with you, you can excuse yourself in the foyer. Uh, you can hide out in the bathroom. You can go out to the car. But it doesn't stop what God is knocking on your heart's door. It cannot stop how God is trying to speak to your soul. And so we are preaching about the blood of Jesus, the blood that flows from the highest mountain down to the lowest valley, the blood that's not a respecter of persons, the blood that Romans 5 and 9 said it justifies us. Ephesians 1 and 7 said it's the blood that redeems us. Hebrews 13 and 12 said it's the blood that sanctifies us. 1 John 1 and 7 said it's the blood that it's the blood that cleanses us. Matthew 26 and 28 said it's the blood that remits our sins. Revelation 1 of 5 said it's the blood that washes away our sins. Uh, Hebrews 10 and 19 said it's the blood that gives us boldness. John 6 53 said it's the blood that gives us life. Hebrews 9 and 14 said it's the blood that cleanses our conscience. C Colossians 1 of 14 said it's the blood that grants us forgiveness. Uh, that blood that flows from the highest mountain down to the lowest valley the blood that will cross over generational lines the blood that will follow you on the wrong side of the tracks the blood that's not a respecter of persons the blood that can forgive the chiefest of sinners preaching ended sitting there altar call had been given I just did it came off the platform went to the very back of the church sat down beside my sister I said, Natalie, I wish that you would just come to the altar with me one time. Just one time come to the altar with me. And She looked at me. She said, Doug, I'll go one time. 
That's all I need. Give me one anointed service. Give me one praying mama that won't let her go. Give me one intercessor that knows their role in the church. That's all I need is one altar call. That's that's all I need is one Sunday morning. That's all I need is one revival service. And that's all that can happen to you. She came down to the front, put my arm around her shoulder. I said, Nally, the first thing you got to do is believe in God. The first thing you got to do is that believe that Jesus died on the cross. He was buried in the grave. And then he did what no other human did. He conquered death and he did it so that we might be saved he did it so that we would not be lost and we would not have to go to hell so we began to pray and we began to confess that Jesus I believe that you are real I said now you got to repent of your sins got to ask God for forgiveness ask God for a new life for a new heart for a new soul and so we started praying and as we started praying and repenting together I looked and I the corner of her eye a tear started to well up see I can already see what the Lord's doing in this service you may not be visible to you yet but there's something happening here that tear started to well up in her eye I said that's it Natalie what you're feeling is a love that man cannot give and man cannot take away what you're feeling is a love that can override every hurt a love that can override every abusive situation a love that's sweeter than any drug better than any drink or pill what you feel my God feel the Holy Ghost right now what you're feeling is the love of God that the Bible says many waters cannot quench it's a love that will forever change you was in that moment started to break down and began to cry and began to weep first time really I think I've ever seen her cry and we're praying together I'm bawling I'm having to wipe all the tears from my eyes we're praying together and finally in that altar she kind of stopped for a moment wiping away all her tears turned around kind of gave me a hug and she said Doug I feel something here she said I, I've, I can say that I've never believed in God in all my life but There's no doubt about it. Something I felt, and I cannot deny it. He has to be real. She said, you've told me that if you really believe in God, you have to be baptized. She said, well, I believe in God. I guess I need to be baptized. So guess who I got to hold in the water? Oh, she looked a million miles away from God, but I'm going to tell you, when it's your day, day. You don't know it, but God is orchestrating this service. You may not realize it right now, but it's by divine order that you're here and we're here. It's by his plan that our paths have crossed. I'll put her down in the name of Jesus. She's still attending church, working in the nursery in her church. I don't believe God's done in my family. I don't believe God's finished yet, but I believe something else. God's not finished in this service. God's not finished in this congregation. He's not finished in your family and in your loved ones and those you care so much about. But I wonder this morning as every head is bowed and every eye is closed as the music begins to play softly. Friend of mine, God is here this very moment. And it's not just another service. It's not just another message. 
It's not just another Sunday morning, but this day, this scripture is going to be fulfilled in your ears. It's not because of the preacher. It's not because of the building. It's not because of the pews or the music. But the Lord is here right now. And he's uh, He's knocking on your heart's door. Come on, young person. Wouldn't you like to receive the Holy Ghost? Come on, sir. Come on, ma'am. Wouldn't you like to be baptized in Jesus' name and have your sins washed away? Come on, saint of God. Wouldn't you like to be renewed? Come on, prophet. Wouldn't you like to be restored back into a right standing relationship? Come on, young man. Wouldn't you like to feel something that's more than just church, more than just what the pastor says or grandma believes? Come on, it's for you right now. It's for you this very moment. It's for you this very day. Oh, Father, in the name of Jesus, I rebuke every doubt. I come against every lie. The enemy has tried to whisper into our minds. I come against spirits that have tried to hinder. I come against depression and low self-esteem. I come against suicidal thoughts. I come against every attack of the enemy and every onslaught of the adversary. I pray there would be a window that somebody can make an intelligent decision and they could come to an altar and they They could be saved and they can have what their heart needs from you. Could you stand with me all across the house? Some have already come, but wouldn't you like to come today? Come on. Eyes closed. Wouldn't you like to come? Come on. In Jesus' name, from the front to the back, from the left to the right. Come on. Do you feel the tug of God? Do you feel God is calling me higher? God is calling me out of my problems. He's calling me out of my mess. A closer walk. In the name of Jesus. Come on, let's come all the way down, all the way down. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Come on, prayer warriors. Come on, intercessors. This is your day. That's it, sis. Come on. Those tears, just let them go. Don't care what nobody says. Let the tears go. In Jesus' name. Woo! Come on, preachers. Hallelujah. Come on, altar workers. In the name of the Lord. God, I'm going to open my heart. Come on, why don't you just lift your hands today? Why don't you close your eyes? God, I receive from you this very moment. I pray let the Holy Ghost fall. Let your spirit come. Let your anointing descend. In the name of the Lord. Woo! Come on, that's it, sis. Come on, he's here right now. He's here right now. Hallelujah. God, I'm going to cry out to you with all of my heart. Crying out to you with all of my soul. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Come on. Find somebody. Lay your arm on their shoulder. Find somebody beside you. Come on. We're going to pray one for another. Hallelujah. Lord, this is your plan. Lord, this is your purpose. Lord, this is your service here today. This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. 
Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806 or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.